Welcome back to part two of my podcast conversation with Bernie Kyo on her podcast, Ye Can Do. Ye Can Do is a podcast about possibility, about embracing our humanity, as well as letting go of limiting beliefs in our lives. Today on the podcast, we discuss the science behind adopting a gratitude practice, why there simply isn't a one size fits all approach, and why it's important for each individual to find their own recipe for inner contentment. I really enjoy the conversation. And I hope you do too. Welcome to Ye Can Do. I'm Bernie Kyo, and in this week's episode, I have the great pleasure of speaking with Dr. Mark Rowe. Mark is a medical doctor and practicing physician and founder of the Waterford Health Park. He's an expert and pioneer in positive health and lifestyle medicine, and also an accomplished author, speaker, and founder of the Vitality Mark and the Living with Vitality program. His mission is to empower people to live their lives with vitality and purpose. And I'm delighted to have him on the show today. All change starts on the inside. And I think you said you were a skeptic initially about it. You know, it's good to be a skeptic. I like people to be skeptics. Sometimes people will say, hey, Mark, you know, I, I think you're doing great work in that well-being space. I've, I've seen you on LinkedIn. I saw you were up here, there and whatever. <laughs> and um, but I'm, I want to let you know I'm a skeptic. And I say, well, that's good. It's good to be a skeptic. That's why we have science, because science provides the evidence that that uh, can, you know, take get the skeptics on board. That's why we have science. We have to have evidence. Yeah. And um, so it's good to be a skeptic. Scientists are skeptics. They question. It's good to ask questions. We all have to answer our own questions. But in terms of gratitude, you know, there's such a wealth of evidence now that a regular gratitude practice is so good for you in terms of enhancing your, your well-being. Even writing down three things once a week for 10 weeks can build your inner feelings, your subjective well-being by perhaps up to 25% mm. a written gratitude practice because it moves you away from the stressed state yeah. towards, you know, towards sort of, I suppose, that place of recharge, maybe more from your head to your heart, as it were. You sort of, um, you plug more into kind of Vegas and into recharge from stress and that can strengthen your immune system, support your sleep, maybe lower your blood pressure, support your heart health and improve your well-being, build your resilience, strengthen your relationships. It really is. It really is. And and as I say, build that emotional bank account with a little bit more positivity. Tip the scales in your favor where you can get to that place where you have more opportunity to flourish mm. in your relationships and in your life. Mm. It struck me there when you were talking about um, the positive side to being a skeptic and I do agree with you to a certain extent as long as it isn't arrogance um, mm-hmm. and I so now I challenge myself around um, my reaction to things and I ask myself am I practicing you know contempt prior to investigation in other words if I don't have the experience uh, then I am not in a position to judge you know whether it is it works or not or or, or is helpful or not. Bernie can I just say as well that you know what I would say to that is that there are two types of evidence there's the objective evidence which is the science 
But then what's equally important is the subjective experience of each person. So, you know, I would absolutely agree with you. I would never say to somebody, you need to do this, that or the other. Mm -hmm. I would, I would be much more inclined to say, here's some ideas that have worked for people. And you might like to try some of them and see if they work for you because we're all different. And uh, it's, it's about finding our own sort of recipe for inner contentment, for being true to ourselves in life that matters most. Mm -hmm. So it isn't a cookbook of do this, do that, do the other. Exactly. Do it exactly the way I say to do it. Oh, Um, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, I think you're making a really important point there. And I truly believe in the importance of subjective experience and trusting one's own experience um mm. but being open to challenge if you know science or you know other um other domains um maybe challenge that perspective you know um but i and i think that uh i mean it it struck me on carl rogers journey you know as a practicing um psychiatrist you know, working in that field for like 10, 15 years that he just, you know, began to trust his experience and his experience was, whatever way I'm doing this, it ain't working. This magical model is not working. And uh, and he was a firm believer in people leaning into the, the using, you know, their own experience as uh, uh, evidence uh, for um, what, you know, what works and, and, and what doesn't. Um, and also I find that in the field of science with neurodiversity and all the things that in actual fact that science is catching up and being able to explain um, more of the spiritual now, but not in a way that discounts it, in a way that kind of proves it. <laughs> you know, that it's what's happening in science across many domains is, is fascinating, but I feel it's catching up uh, uh, whereas uh, traditionally the, the world of the spiritual, the soul, etc., may have been seen as prehistoric. In actual fact, it's it's a it's the opposite. Well, what's really fascinating, Bernie, is despite all the breakthroughs in neuroscience, and they have sort of living, breathing fMRI scans now that can really show show movement in the brain, and despite all the research in terms of how brain cells work. And all of the neurochemicals from serotonin to dopamine and all the rest of them, they've never been able to identify where thoughts come from. Mm. And that remains elusive. And this idea um, of consciousness, Mm -hmm. where does consciousness come from? And that's, that's, that's a fascinating conversation to begin to look at consciousness and to understand that we are all sentient beings and we have awareness. We have a deep awareness that we can tap into that is separate from and in a way above or behind what we project into the world. It's really, really fascinating. Yeah, yeah. That's the, um, I call it the... Oh, no, number numerous names for it, um, but the I capital letters that's mm. detached from the emotions and feelings that I may be experiencing that exists that that is witnessing 
experiencing and observing what's what's going on and or a higher power or a you know but uh and that's i think the objective of um medicine beyond the calm or sorry meditation beyond the um the calming effect and uh, of meditation is is that stillness that allows one to access that eye which is often a a wiser (laughs) consciousness than you know the 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 person operating in the busyness and so uh yeah and i think that science as i said will ultimately find its own way of describing something that many of us you know experience anyway subjectively um and and mark just to 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 come back to just a, a few things um first of all i want to ask you um what your daily practice is, but also I want to ask you, um, you know, there's a lot of lived experience here. There's a lot of humility, as you said, um, soulful pursuit of a life of service um, and innate kind of wisdom. And, you know, whether you've learned, gone to learn that in Harvard or or elsewhere, read about it, um, uh, listen to your own experience. But I'm just struck that within your story, um, has there been any internal struggle, conflict? Did you have any mountains to climb, dark moments? Well, I did experience burnout, um, you know, and that was tough. I mean, we had, I think, a perfect storm of, you know, a financial crash. Yeah. And... On top of that, the workload was phenomenal. And of course, what you learn in medical school, uh, and I suppose what I had learned from the time I was in short pants, hmm. <laughs> about five or six years of age, uh, is, you know, when you face a challenge, when you face a challenge in life, you put your head down, you work harder. Mm-hmm. So that will be my automatic reaction will be to w- work harder, faster, longer. And I did that for a few years. And, but eventually I couldn't work any harder any longer. And I still was sort of moving backwards as it were. And the pressure of the financial crash was was very tough at the time. And and then I lost a couple of people close to me. Mm. Um, my favorite aunt, she was my mum's twin sister and she had no kids herself. So I was kind of like her, her special boy as it were. And she had uh, really been so good to me growing up. I was very close to her and she died suddenly. And that had a big impact on me. And I think I was so busy at the time at work, I I never got a chance to grieve. Mm. And I did what a lot of Irish males do, um, medical or or otherwise, you just suppress it and you Mm. drive on and you, you know, you just pretend uh, you get through it. And it eventually all caught up with me. And, you know, late 2013, I just began to feel very, very, empty, mm. emotionally empty. And I also had a kind of a, and it's just because of our conversation, I suppose a bit of a soul, a soulful emptiness as well, in the sense that I just, I began to ask what's it all about in terms mm. of the, all of this work and, and, and life. And fortunately I was never, I never went into a really dark place where, where so many people have gone. I, I you know, fortunately I, I never went there. 
but I did feel very empty, very exhausted. Mm. And then I did what I would have recommended to hundreds of patients before and since. I went and spoke to somebody. Mm. And that was actually a very, very good idea because I learned that I was being so tough on myself and I wasn't giving myself an ounce of self-compassion, really, not an ounce, (laughs) Uh, even though I would give bucket loads to everybody else. And this is a common uh, issue with carers and with, with, uh, with, with doctors. And I think that's when things began to change for me, really. So that was the beginning of my own journey. And it's been one step after the next since then. Yeah. 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 Well, thanks for, for sharing that. And I know you actually had mentioned earlier when we were speaking the self-compassion and like you, you know, I just wouldn't have put myself and self-compassion in the same sentence, you know, and, and I have observed we're working with people and talking to a lot of people because as my profession involved and now, you know, even as a coach and as a trainee, um, psychotherapist that it's amazing how much people, um, uh, find it difficult to, um, offer themselves the slightest bit of self-compassion and they are very compassionate people often, you know, when it comes to everyone else and how, um, I, I don't know where it comes from. Um, obviously we're in Ireland, but I don't think it's a, an Irish thing. Um, how people can minimize huge things that are happening to them in their lives as if, you know, it is actually normal to be able to face some of the life's biggest challenges without, you know, and to, to take it in a stride, you know, and, and I suppose that's, that's kind of a, a little bit about the misnomer about what resilience is. You know, that is not resilience. Resilience is not about taking, you know, the loss of a, you know, a darling aunt, you know, and a very close person in your life and, uh, and just keep going, you know, that's not resilience, you know, it's, um, it's actually uh, being able to um, meet life's challenges, process them ideally mm. in a healthy way. And that means meeting the pain of them and accepting that and learning to, you know, to accept and, and then still finding the will to, to go on. I mean, at least that's my probably poor man's uh, definition of resilience. What, 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 what do you think of that, Mark, in terms of uh, oh, resilience? What's, what's, what's resilience for you? Well, re- resilience, it, 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 it's, it's that interplay of, I suppose, it, it's mental fortitude, but it's, it, it's underpinned by self-compassion. It's underpinned by emotional agility it's it's underpinned by as you said being able to process the pain being able to embrace the tough times and give yourself the the care and respect that you would a good friend um take on board whatever strategies are useful for you to to stay well i mean that's really resilience it's not this sort of um, coat of armor, I'm bulletproof kind of idea. It's really, yeah. It's really being being able to deal with things appropriately and in a way that 
really supports sustainable long-term well-being. Mm. And I think medical school, you know, is really certainly has been is a really tough place because people people that have probably already been very high achievers to get in the front door, as it were, because of the recruitment process. Um, they're they're ground for six years in in this idea about being bulletproof mm-hmm. and you know nonstop. And then they come out and then they work as junior doctors where they work around the clock and that. So it's a very, it's a very, un, it can be a very unforgiving place, medical school. So I think it's it's great now to finally see that, you know, self-care and burnout prevention for healthcare professionals is really starting to become a, a topic of conversation around the world. Yeah. And, you know, recognizing A, how prevalent burnout is among carers. I mean, Mm. at any one time, at least one in three doctors is suffering from some form of burnout. Just think about that. It could be much Mm. higher since COVID. Yes. Uh, And to really understand that, um, you know, if you really want to effectively take care of anyone else in the world, whether it's your loved one, whether it's a work colleague, family member, friend, or a patient or, or a client, if you're a therapist or a doctor, it has to start with taking good care of yourself. Mm. That that's yeah. the starting point, not yeah. the end point. And you know that's that, that's really what I've learned that mm. I can be of better service to people in the world, to my patients, to everybody, to my family, once I make sure I'm taking good care of myself. Yeah, yeah. So it's not an either or. It's the best of both. Exactly. And Mark, how do you take good care of yourself today? And how do you achieve some balance given all that you do? The writing, publishing a book, your, you know, vitality, Mark, um, um, well-being uh, program for corporates, uh, your podcast, your personal development program. How, how do you do it? Well, you know, there's lots of things I don't do is what I'd say. <laughs> But, you know, what I've learned really, it's about presence. It's about being present um, because we're we at the moment we're sharing this conversation and that's all there is. Um, later on, there'll be something else. So it's about being present. It's really interesting. I remember reading a few years ago that people are not present, uh, perhaps at least 50 percent of the time. They're either back there in the past or fretting about tomorrow or whatever. So that's a really interesting idea. But to be more present and to, as we said earlier in the conversation, to, to start with the things that are important to do, and to do the things that that matter for you. But for me, my my well-being practice, um, as I said already, I when I get out of bed every day, I put my feet on the bedroom floor and I thank God for an, another day. And, you know, I think about a few things I'm grateful for. And so it kicks off then. In fact, my well-being practice today, let me just re- reverse engineer for a second. It started last <laughs> night. Um, one, of the, one of the most important things I've ever learned is how important it is to get a good night's sleep. <laughs> Another oh, thing that uh, medical school can can do and working as a junior doctor is you, your, your sleep gets shortchanged. But so I really learned um, when I read Matthew Walker's book there, Why Sleep Matters a number of years ago. It's an incredible book on the on the science of sleep, but to really understand it and then apply it yourself. So I, I, I try and get eight hours sleep at night and that really sets me up for a great start. Mm. And I have my little gratitude practice, um, 
you know, daily exercise for me is generally a non-negotiable. In other words, I not just understand the benefits of exercise, I, I appreciate and I feel the benefits for myself. Mm. So I like it's, to do a lot. It's not tennis. a should, you feel it. I feel it. Yeah, yeah. I do feel it. Yeah. So I, I like to do something every day. I have um, different things designed in my life to make that happen, whether it's um, some weight training. I like to do strength training twice a week, which I think is invaluable to um, to feel better. And, and uh, I like love to play my tennis and I like long walks. I love to walk in nature. We have the wonderful Mount Congreve Gardens here in Waterford that I'm, I'm putting a self-directed forest therapy experience into. It'll be there next spring. People can come along and just do it themselves yeah. and, and appreciate the benefits. So as I say, um, exercising in nature is like exercise squared. Yeah. You compound all the benefits Absolutely. in terms of, you know, feeling feeling better and, and, and clearing away the cobwebs of stress and so on. Uh, I like to read. I always like to have a couple of books on the go. And, you know, that's, that's, that's really it. Um, I like to watch a few movies and things like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it's and just the, the daily prioritization of the things that help you and matter to you and that you enjoy. Yeah, a few simple things. It's not yeah. a cookbook, you know. Yeah. But um, I think I think for me learning years ago to leave my phone downstairs, turn it off at a reasonable time and have a wind down at night and get a good night's sleep. For me, that was really important. And, you know, I think exercise is, it, it can be great. It's, it certainly works for me. Uh, daily exercise. Yeah. And and, you know, I think underpinning all of that, I, as I said at the start of our conversation, Barney, I'm just I'm an incredibly lucky person that in the kind of work I do, um, you know, meeting people, I, I there's hardly a day goes by when I'm not helping other people. Yeah, because I'm usually in the practice and, and I get great fulfillment from that. And you get to share little ideas. Sometimes I have a mindful based breathing exercise called pause that I I, I probably teach once a day. You don't do it with everyone, of course, but I mm. would teach it to so if it's appropriate. We might teach it, and I learn by doing then as well. You know, mm. best mm. way to learn anything is to teach it. So, so you know, I think giving to others in whatever way you can, whether it's through your work, if you're if you've got purposeful work, or you've learned to make your work more purposeful, volunteering, you know, whatever you can do to support somebody else in life, it comes back to you in so many ways. Mm. It's really interesting. Yeah. And Mark, what have your patients taught you? Oh, so much. <laughs> yeah. Pa patients teach me so much. Mm. I was at a conference recently and I met uh, an old friend of mine. He's, he's a GP in Dublin. He's just retiring. And he was telling me about some patients he's called up that he's going to have a special conversation with now that he's retiring to thank them. And he, you know, he was, he was telling me that some of his patients have, have taught him so much. And, and for, for me as well, I mean, it's, it's, I've got such respect for people I meet, you know, mm -hmm. people have overcome such incredible um, adversity, 
people keep smiling, keep putting one foot forward in the in in front of the other. People who've gone back to education later in life. Mm-hmm. Incredible. Yeah. I think the the beauty of working in any field where you I suppose meet a, a lot of people and then have the opportunity to maybe share a more intimate moment with them is that you can truly see how heroic everyday mm. people can be, you know, um, mm. in just in their effort to meet gracefully and, you know, not without struggle, but nevertheless to meet the, uh, the, the, the challenges that, uh, that regularly occur in the, in the journey of life. And, and I, for one, you know, in, you know, because I've met thousands of people in in my uh, role as as a, a recruitment consultant, um, and it was it was the real joy of the job for me, um, and I learned so much. Sometimes it was, you know, literally just what was happening in the latest uh, cutting edge field of of marketing, um, to um, to coaching techniques to, you know, there was never, I never had the sense that I was giving without receiving something in return. And so there's a few things stick in my mind right now. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking of people, uh, I can think of a few specific examples of people who've, you know, really struggled with addiction and mm-hmm. um, sometimes alcohol. And of course that can have such a catastrophic impact on the family. Uh, all drugs can, uh, cocaine as well. And then to see people that have got into recovery and to see how, how well they've done, mm. how they've really flourished mm. a few years later. And it can be extraordinary. And it's so, I find that so inspiring to, to meet these people yes. and to be able to share their, their story with them. Yes. Um, and then you see on the other end of the spectrum, you see some sports players, hurlers or sports people and the, the effort they put in and the discipline, the sacrifice, all in pursuit of their own individual or team goal and to be able to share a little bit of that with them and, and, and support them. 